0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoots Media.
1: Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts, and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area, and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple.
0: Catch and Shoot podcast. This week, it's NBA Draft Week. Anthony Davis has been traded. We're going to have Don McLean, the UCLA great, the all-time leading scorer in UCLA and Pac-12 history, who's the trainer for the CAA guys. So... Zion, Kobe White, Bull Bull, and others. We'll talk to Don in a moment. I'm Noah Kozlov on the East Coast, Adam Stenko out there on the West Coast. Adam, you good?
2: I'm good. I'm good, Noah. It's good to talk to you, my man.
0: You too, pal. Uh, real quick, quick story on the NBA draft. I know I've told the 2003 draft story about Donald Trump and correcting him when he told Melania who LeBron was when he pointed to Maverick Carter in the white suit, but it was actually <laughs> LeBron in the white suit. And I was an intern and tapped him on the shoulder and told him that night. But I don't know if they still do it, but that was always the morning of the NBA intern breakfast with the commissioner. So we went into the, and I was at NBA Entertainment in New Jersey, and then there was another group of interns in New York. So we all got together in one of the conference rooms in, in the New York office on Fifth Avenue, and commissioner came in, and, and, and commissioner said that his biggest concern always the biggest stress was the pronunciations and our producer Bruce Bernstein has a good piece on the on the site on purehoopsmedia.com about his involvement with commissioner Stern and and Adam Silver during the draft and he can probably attest to this as well so he, anyway he sits down with us and and he says to us his first question is what do we sell what is the nba selling and like we're all in we're all interns and we all you know took turns saying all sorts of things. And then I guess after <laughs> like six people got it wrong and I don't know if I answered, I, I don't even remember. He said, entertainment, we sell entertainment. And mm. that's something that I've always had in mind. And sometimes there's a tipping point, I think, with the entertainment side of things, with the soap opera drama side of things. But at the end of the day on the court, we sell entertainment. It's always been in my mind.
2: I love that. Do you think? Uh, do you think Adam Silver feels the same way?
0: To an extent, I mean, he was the longtime president of NBA Entertainment, so I do think I do think he does to an extent, for sure, for sure.
2: Interesting. Uh, uh. All right,
0: let's uh, let's get into it, guys. Explain this to me.
2: All right, so uh, Noah, explain this to me. We know who won the Anthony Davis trade.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so it's so funny when you have to do winners and losers right away, and even when it's just a, you know, players being traded for each other. I I feel like over the past few years, especially with the Paul George and and the Oladipo trade, that there's got to be something else aside from all right, winners and losers. How about how about we can. We can try to grade it from both sides when it's just straight players and talk about the fit and that kind of thing. So something else aside from just like the headline of winners and losers, especially when all these picks are involved. But what I the thing that I don't understand of the trade is how the Pelicans got so much when it was just the Lakers. It's like as if it's as if the like the Lakers were bidding against themselves. That's what I don't understand.
2: Yeah, that part is is fascinating to me. And I think what's also interesting about this deal, Noah, and I think, first of all, you bring up a good point about the idea of winners and losers also gets to be ridiculous because when you start to involve draft picks and then there's usually trades that happen in the future and then there's injuries, like we never really can evaluate how a deal turned out. Maybe one guy looks really special and one team looks foolish, but many times with these deals that are so multifaceted – it turns out to be sort of convoluted and it's hard to even figure out like when the trade should be evaluated, you know, or came to fruition. But I think what's fascinating about this in particular with the, with all the the, the picks that are involved, you can't trade your first rounder in back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. And I just think David Griffin, you know, in a, I, I think I don't want to say he fleeced the Lakers, but basically he took all of his knowledge And basically all of the things he probably took in the media over the last couple of years, like if I were to do a blockbuster trade, how would I go about it and sort of put it together on paper? And this is what it sort of lays out to be like a bunch of protections that protect the Pelicans in terms of their draft picks, not just a pick in this year's draft, but then you start to get like 2021 pick. but. Only if it falls within the top eight, otherwise converting to Lakers unprotected in twenty twenty two is a first rounder, so like in years past, we used to see back in the day, like you know with the Chris Weber Anthony Hardaway deal, it was a first round pick every other year because you couldn't couldn't trade your first rounder, and it right. sets franchises back. but this one's weird, it's almost like there's workarounds to that based upon the draft protections and stuff, so I just thought how this was put together. I'm not a huge Lonzo ball guy, but I was fascinated by like how Griff put this together. And I give him credit for that being almost in an impossible situation. You know, how do you trade Anthony Davis and get fair value back? Well, you basically build your franchise from that starting point. Certainly having Zion as your, as your number one pick is going to help ease the blow of losing AD. Right. And
0: I think I know Alvin Gentry loves Lonzo, a grab and go guy and, and he can fit well with Zion. I don't know about, personalities i don't know any of that stuff um but they got they got three players that can play for them right away and then they've you know they've they own the next like five six seven years of the lakers draft and i think it can still be a win for the lakers if they win a title but that's it i mean that's they're, they're they're going they're going for championships and now now still the, the Pelicans hold a card, and they might even be able to get something else out of it. They say, all right, well, we actually want this deal, given that whole deal that Bobby Marks laid out was the, the date of it, about when trade bonuses come in and how much right. salary. So if, you know, so if the Lakers say, hey, we want to hold this off
2: until July 30th, then the Pelicans say, all right, well, give us this. And Noah, you know what else I think is fascinating about this whole thing is that a year ago— when we were looking at LeBron in LA and what the off what their uh, what their roster sort of was set up to be, and how Polinka and Magic put this thing together, we've talked about it a bunch. But this idea of a bunch of players on their rookie deals, right? Hart, Ingram, mm-hmm. Ball, Kuzma, all those guys on the rookie deals, plus a bunch of one-year guys that were sort of these you know, head scratchers, but uh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, they're gone after a year. It frees up space. The point being, let's ride out year one with LeBron, and then in this huge free agency class, we're going to be able to land guys and put ourselves in contention. And now, like, we went through this whole season of drama with the Lakers and the firing of Luke Walton and Magic resigns and all this, this chaos and all the questions Mike Wise had for Genie Bus that didn't involve, you know um, – the two of them dating. And, I, and, and you go through the whole thing, and I just think about this whole year, and I'm like, this is amazing to me that like the Lakers are basically in the spot that they were planning to be in. like In a way, they're actually in that same spot where they're really favorable contracts. They were able to make this trade, and now they're in position, other than making that mistake of the timing of the trade, they are in position to sign someone. And if Jimmy Butler decides to sign for less, all of a sudden... This is exactly what they were planning to do all along.
0: Yeah, but I do think they had some sort of cap miscalculations there, which also doesn't surprise me. All right, so let's move on. Well, I've, got, sure. I've got four draft notes for you, and you're, and you're the draft guy. You've been, you've been scouting the draft since when? How
2: old were you? I was probably about 14 or 15. That's the best. And then that's
0: the best. So, and, yeah, and now you're only 22. So seven years of scouting the draft. <laughs> So I'm going, to give you, um, you. I'm going to give you four different categories, and we'll go one by one. So give me right now your top five guys in the draft.
2: Zion Williamson, John ja Morant, Kobe White of North Carolina, Jarrett Culver of Texas Tech, and R.J. Barrett of Duke.
0: Okay, the rookie in the playoffs next season that will make an impact, and the reason I ask over the past few years... These rookies have made an impact in the playoffs. Landry Shamet made an impact in the playoffs this year. Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, uh, O.J. Ananobi, his rookie year, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner. Those are the guys that they came to mind over the past just few years. So give me a rookie to make an impact in the playoffs this coming year.
2: I think it's going to be Matisse Theibel. He's a wing player from Washington and the best defensive player to come out of the college ranks in, in years. Years. Uh, this guy is, is an incredible defensive player. He's going to be insane on the next level. Three steals a game, two blocks a game, and he was doing it playing the top of the zone from Washington. And uh, he basically dominated the zone, but he was great before they even put in a zone. Uh, this guy is such a unique defensive player with such great defensive instincts. He's the guy.
0: Yeah, and he just happens to be a Pac-12 guy, and that's exactly where you are. So, And it leads us right into the Pac-12 sleeper and and it can't be him. Well, I guess it could be. But the last the last Pac-12 draft pick that was that became an all-star mm-hmm. was I, I had to go back to 2011 draft and that was like the Pac-12 All-Star draft that was Clay, Isaiah Thomas and Vooch.
2: Whew. That's interesting. I, I You can you can that- use that
0: in your show, by the way.
2: I'm going. Thank you. I You're appreciate welcome. the uh, the knowledge. See, I'm learning Ther- also. Th- Thursday I'm night. Thursday night. What time on Pac-12 Network? Nine nine p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Oh, nine p.m. Pacific, Pacific. Six o'clock correct. Eastern. Okay. Six o'clock Eastern. Uh, you know, it's interesting. though, that you say that because there's a bunch of guys that um, that uh, are fascinating picks from the Pac-12, and I think people don't know where they're going to go. Bull, bull. Don's guy, who's out of Oregon, coming off the injury, who's obviously talented and, and huge, but question marks about. You know uh, his ability to stay on the court. Only played nine games at Oregon. Casey Paulus, Stanford, Kevin Porter, USC. Um, Lou King is a really interesting guy from from Oregon um, as well. So you have all these young guys with a bunch of question marks. I think I think the guy that's really got a bright future, if he can put it together, is, is in the right spot. Is Kevin Porter. He's six five. Did crazy things at the high school level. Didn't, wasn't extremely productive at the college level, but you saw flashes. People started to compare him to James Harden as a wing player, shooting guard, small forward type. I think Kevin Porter could be a guy, certainly NBA talent, that could be a crazy sleeper at, at the next level.
0: I saw Kevin Porter play when he was in high school, out in high school in oh. Seattle, and he was. And? Did, uh, I called his games. He was a sophomore, I think, at Rainer Beach, and that's when... I don't, I forget who his who his teammates were. Uh, was Sand Cunliffe one of his one of his teammates? Maybe Ooh, one of th- maybe. I don't remember. But anyway, he was a sophomore, and he was uh, and he was great. And um and you could see you could see the certainly you could see the promise on him. But he was a sophomore then. That was at the uh, Bass Pro Tournament of Champions, in um, in Springfield, Missouri. So now I need the second round pick that'll have teams kicking themselves in the past three years. So just. Just going to give you the last five years. And not, and not all of these guys are, you know, all-timers, but Jokic, sure. Dinwiddie, Montrezl Harrell, Mitchell Robinson, Monty Morris, Brogdon, and then just even, you know, two guys that played in the finals this year are two of the all, and I was kind of looking at the modern era second rounders, of the all, sure. all-time second rounders in Marcus Allen and Draymond Green.
2: That's a great call. And Fred VanVleet was an undrafted player.
0: Right, right, not to mention Richard Lewis, Rodman, Mark Price, Arenas, Millsap, IT, Manu. Not to mention those guys, but Goes for on on for on. further context.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think there's there's two guys that that I think were extremely productive in in college and um could be really impressive if they if they slip to to the second round. And the weird part about this draft is you got this this top heavy like right at the top with Zion and Ja then there's a bunch of guys from like 3 through 12 that are fascinating picks that, that are, there's a ton of potential, but you could strike out or you could hit a home run. And then sort of the rest of the first round has a bunch of guys that are talented, but again, lots of question marks. You know, guys like Fiondo Cavangeli of uh, Florida State or Bruno Fernando who are these Adonis-looking figures that could be really impactful. But guys that go to the second round, Carson Edwards of Purdue and Naz Reed of LSU I think are two guys that could be extremely impressive um, I think Carson Edwards, you know, he's sort of like uh, Dana Barros. You know, you're talking about a 5'11 sort of shooting combo guard guy that scores first. He's not, no, not the same frame. Carson Edwards way more explosive and stronger. And, uh, but just their ability to score, their knack for scoring. Carson Edwards just – he moves differently than normal human beings do, even at that, at that size and that low center of gravity. And then, and then Nas Reed, who is an awesome high school player, and could shoot from the outside, he's athletic, he's a tough post player, uh, inside out kind of guy, block shots. I think both those guys could be, could be really difference makers on the next level, certainly if they, uh, if they fall into the second round.
0: All right, well, you explained it to me. You're an expert. Coming up next, a real expert. Played in the NBA and now he trains some of the best prospects in the world. He's Don McLean. Let's get to it. That was dope. <laughs> Joining us now, he was the 19th overall pick in the 1992 draft. He left UCLA as the all-time leading scorer. He is still the Pac-12's leading scorer. He's a three-time Pac-10 All-First team. The 1994 Most Improved Player in the NBA. He's played for seven teams in nine years in the NBA. He's now an analyst on the Pac-12 network, Fox Sports West, and a trainer to the stars, and at least the future stars of the NBA. And he's also one of Adam Stanko's good friends. He is Don McLean. Don, we appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's that time of year. Chop it up.
0: Yeah, so, but I, I don't want to start anything with hoops. When, when was the last time someone thought you were Don McLean, who, who sang American
1: Pie? Um, it's been a while. Actually, it's a funny story. I did a TV show one time, and I was in studio, and we got Don McLean on the phone, the singer. And I said, I bet people don't come up to you and say, hey, are you the basketball player as much as I get, hey, are you the singer, Don McClain? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would imagine not. I would imagine that. <laughs> uh, I want to go,
0: since well, we're going to get into the training the guys, but a little bit on your career, what was your pre-draft process like?
1: <laughs> Nothing like today. It was me on my own, basically. I mean, I still was using you know, the strength performance center at UCLA and then just kind of doing what I always did, playing pickup and, you know, doing stuff on my own. It's it's really come a long way in what these agencies now use for pre-draft. It's become very sophisticated. Obviously, there's a lot more money at stake. So I think these agencies are willing to put more money into pre-draft. And so that's why you see, I mean, everybody's, everybody's pre-draft setup is kind of the same. There's different, you know, there's different ways of doing it. But if you're, you know, a big time agent and agency, you have to have a great setup for pre-draft. And it's actually a big part of the recruiting process now for agencies with players when they try and get them to come with them.
2: Tom, before we get into uh, to those specifics, what uh, what are your recollections about about your specific draft night?
1: Um, I was at home and, and, you know, I was hoping to go 11 to Houston or 13 to Denver and that didn't happen. And then once I got down to 19, it was Detroit and, you know, being on the West coast, my entire life, growing up in Southern California and going to UCLA, it seemed a little daunting going to Detroit. Um, But then about an hour and a half later, uh, Detroit traded me to the Clippers. And remember back then in ninety two there was no rookie scale. It was you could negotiate a two year deal or a ten year deal, and so we spent the summer negotiating with the clippers and couldn't couldn't you know come to a an agreement on a deal so two days or three days into training camp, I was traded to Washington and then spent the next four years there.
0: as you're watching and and you thought maybe it was eleven to Houston or thirteen to denver, did you have? You worked out for them. Did you have any promises in the
1: draft? No, no, uh, there was no promises, but, you, you know, you kind of had a good feeling. Um, but that was a loaded draft. I mean, it ended up Robert Ory went 11 to Houston. He turned out to be okay. And um, Brian Stiff went to Denver because they took LaFonso Ellis, I think, at five. Um, and so after that, I didn't – I had worked out from, I think, 10 to 17, And so once it got to 17, I was really getting nervous because I hadn't seen any of those other teams after 17. And so I was kind of wondering. And thankfully, 19 was the number. Yeah, I
0: remember I grew up a Sixers fan and uh, that was the year the Sixers took Baby Barkley and Clarence Weatherspoon. He Mm -hmm. wasn't wasn't exactly Baby Barkley, but. Yeah, Spoon was uh was a Spoon, good player. Spoon, yeah, Spoon wasn't a bad player. When you got traded, how did you how did you find out? How'd that whole thing go down on draft night?
1: Um, actually it's funny. Somebody called me, one of my friends called me and said, Hey man, the, the Clippers just traded for you. And I thought they were, you know, they were pulling my chain because I was on the phone with my agent and other people trying to figure out, you know, what the deal was. And and I talked to the couple of the coaches on the piston staff and Then my agent called me right or called me during that and said, Yeah, there's there's been a trade, you're going to the Clippers. Don,
2: how do you uh, how would you explain this this process? I've I've been lucky enough to go down and and watch you work out guys. I mean, so many so many guys that have come through in recent memory. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, John Collins, Paul George, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, I mean D'Angelo Russell. List goes on and on of the super, superstars of today worked out with you pre-draft. How would you describe the process to somebody who hasn't seen it?
1: Well, I work for CAA, and fortunately for me, CAA has nine basketball agents. So for the most part, whoever signs with CAA is coming to me. Um, you know, the process starts whenever these guys make their decision. For instance, Casey Akpala was here April 1st, starting with us. Some guys have to finish school. Some guys kind of take their time making their decision, but most guys are, are in here sometime in April. Um, and then basically what it's about is getting them ready for the combine. If they have to play, you know, everyone's situation's different as it pertains to Chicago. Some guys just test. Some guys test and shoot. Some guys test, shoot, and play in the five-on-five. Five, um, and some guys don't do anything. The biggest thing that's, that's interesting to me is Chicago, the most important part now has become the interviews for these players. And so I can't really help them with that. Um, CAA does, they have media training that they go through. Um, But, and then get them ready for the team workouts. You know, these teams are trying to gather as much information as they can, not only off the court stuff, but on the court. And there's a lot put into, there's a lot put into these team workouts. Some teams value them more than others, but the way I look at it is this is the last time a team's going to see you before draft night. So if you blow them away with looking different than you did on tape, and when they saw you in person in college, that could be the difference in them drafting you on draft night. So we start the process of, you know, everybody's different. Everyone's thing is different. You know, what they need to work on, things I might want to take out. But I do all the -the on-the-court stuff. I work with a guy by the name of Ryan Capretta who does a sports performance, which is which encompasses a lot of stuff: strength training, mobility. Um, there's a massage element to it, um, nutrition's involved in that as well. So we work together with all these people and trying to get them to be the best they can be, you know, in a month basically, or five weeks, six weeks. And, you know, again, everybody's different. So the on the court stuff, even though we do it in a group setting, everybody has their own individual things. And so I try and identify again, what they need to maybe take out of their game, what we need to improve on. And so that when they go to these team workouts, not only are they drilling better than what these teams expect, but pretty much, well, not pretty much, every team does live work, whether it's one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. And to me, if we can stand out in that, if we can be the best player, and that's what I always tell our guys, like every workout we go to, we want that coaching staff in that front office to say, you were the best player in the workout. <laughs> and so we get to work on that. And there's conditioning involved. There's drills like i said and we go six days a week and if you get in here early you really see the benefits of it and this year you know akpala was the first one in and from what i'm hearing you know we're two days away from the draft he's really helped himself yeah so how how often are teams in touch with you
0: directly to talk about the kids
1: it'll start you know lightly um through the process um you know we didn't have a pro day this year but Usually every year we do. Um, we did have a pro day for Bowl Bowl last week. Um, but I'll, I'll talk to people then um, at our pro days. But then it'll start, it basically started yesterday where these teams are kind of, they've narrowed their board down and now they're really trying to gather specific information. And they don't they don't really ask me. I mean, I think they try and reaffirm what they think they already know about them as players. And on the court, they're more interested in How was he was he coachable? How was he with the other players? Was he on time? You know, did he did he did he do all the things the right way? That's what they're trying to get out of me because they know I've spent six days a week with them for five or six or seven weeks.
0: And they're I mean it kind of puts you in a tough spot since CAA employs you, so you want Mm -hmm. graphics to go where they should, so so how, so how do you build up the – well, I'm, I'm just being honest here. Yeah. And, and allowing the teams to trust you while still while CAA is trusting you as well.
1: Well, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I knew when I started doing it, Noah, that I wanted to do it because I really enjoy it for a long time. Um, so I, I, I find the balance there. I have relationships that go way back from when I played, like with Sean Marks um, and guys around the league. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm honest. about what I see. Um, And I think they trust that I, you know, fortunately the the players that CA recruits aren't knuckleheads for the most part. So I don't have to lie for anybody and I won't lie for anybody, but to be honest with you, you know, when I get them, I set the tone. So there is no room for error with these guys. And, And I do that for two reasons. A I want them to learn how to be a pro and, and do things the right way. But also, if there is some some stuff going on where they're, you know, always late or, you know, they don't feel like working out on some days, I I try and get rid of that like immediately. So they are doing things the right way so that when we get to this point, two days before the draft and people are calling me, I can say, you know, I don't know what you've heard when he was at whatever school he was at. But when he was here, he did things this way and he did them the right way. So, Don, on that point, I mean, you know, with you playing in the league for as
2: long as you had and and obviously as connected as you are to the NBA still uh, with all the guys, you know, plus doing the Clippers broadcast. Like, how do you explain it to people how different it is in terms of the work ethic, in terms of what it takes to be a pro from being a college player to being a pro guy?
1: Um it's, it's not something that you just say, Adam, It it's kind of shown in like some guys get it faster than others. Like I remember two years ago, John Collins, I mean, I had to air him out every day because, you know, and again, I said it earlier, every, everyone's different when they get here. Um, and John Collins had been getting by his entire life on his size and athleticism, you know, because he was a freak athletically. He didn't understand, you know, what, what real work was day in and day out. It went, you know, real intensity was day in and day out. And so again, some guys come in with it, like Chris Dunn a few years back, day one was just a dog from day one. So I didn't really need to worry about that with him, but with like John Collins, we had to talk about it every day. Um, And so it's, it's something that because I know it and, and did it, it's easier for me. And I think that the, the guys that we get trust that because I did play in the league, I got to believe I'm the only ex-NBA player doing pre-draft workouts. And I think that's an advantage for me because they trust it. I know what I'm talking about because I did it. Um, And so, you know, I don't know how, how other, how other to answer that question. than it's just a process that starts the, the first day they get here. All right. And how about, Uh, Noah and,
2: and I'm sure many others haven't heard the Donovan Mitchell story. There's, there's also the idea that you, you can help these guys in terms of playing a part in, in, uh, how to navigate their future.
1: Yeah. Donovan Mitchell came in and kept his eligibility at Louisville comes from a a single mom, Nicole, and she was really on the fence, like really on the fence. You know, a lot of guys come and keep their eligibility, but you kind of like, you you just assume they're going to stay in the draft. Well, he was really down, down the middle. And so he came in and I hadn't seen a lot of them, but I get tape of these guys if I hadn't seen a lot of them. And so I kind of know what I'm what I'm looking for, know what I'm getting when they get here. And I liked what I saw on tape, but it was obvious, like in the first couple of days that like this guy's a pro. And so after like the third or fourth day, I'm talking to Ty Sullivan, his agent. And I said, look, I mean, we can, we can play out this process, but, you know, doing this for as long as I have, there's zero chance that Donovan should go back to school. And he goes, well, you call the mom. So I called her and I said, Nicole, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time and I kind of know what I'm looking for. I know what I see. I mean, I think it's pretty, it's, it's pretty obvious that Donovan needs to stay in the draft. She's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's just keep, keep going and see and whatever. And so another week goes by and I tell Ty, I'm like, look, man, this is stupid. Like we need to, you know, he's like, well, the, you know, cause he came in early. So we had time. He's like, let's just continue going. He's like, Will you call the mom again though. And I said that, so I called Nicole the second time. And I said, Nicole, I, you know, I, I hate to keep bugging you on this, but like, it's, it's really obvious now. I mean, we've been <laughs> doing it almost two weeks. It's like, you know, he's going to be a first round pick for sure. And, more than likely higher than that based on what I'm watching every day. And by the way, he was working out against Luke Kennard every day who went 12th in the draft. And so another week goes by and it's like, now I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, you know, this is, let's, I, I, let's just do it. So I tell Ty, I'm like, look, look, can we just do this? He's like, well, you know, the mom. And so I called Nicole Mitchell for the last time. And I said, Nicole, he is staying in the draft just so you know, (laughs) like, So he ended up staying in the draft and ended up going 13th. And so, you know, there's every every year it's fascinating to me. Everybody's circumstance is different on keeping their eligibility or what their range is and, you know, what we can do. And the the agents do a great job of of positioning these guys on where they go work out um, in the narrative behind them when, when they go to these teams. But it's our it's my job and Ryan Capretta's job to get them ready so that these agents can really sell these players into a range that's higher than they're at before the process starts.
0: Right, I don't want to bury the, the workout lead with Zion, but I'm going to ask you about Bo Bo. Where is he at this point?
1: Well, he's on the court, Noah. He didn't get on the court until June 1st. So he's coming from way behind, you know, in the small sample size of games at Oregon nine, but it's, you know, I've had so many conversations about him. You know, you just don't see seven two with this skill level. I mean, and I've told people, you know, he's he's not a good shooter for a seven two guy. He's a good shooter, period. And he handles the ball really well for a guy his size. Now, what does that mean? I think it just means he's more valuable offensively at the next level. There's going to be questions about his his defense and being able to switch in pick and roll game and that, but he 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 was a willing shot blocker at Oregon. Um, but I just think you know, when you have an injury and you're out for that long, people just start to question you and the tall guys, it really sends up red flags when, when really tall guys get injured early. And so I think that's why he's kind of slid down a lot of boards, but his pro day was better than I expected. You know, we went about 35 minutes and he was able to showcase that ball handling and in that shooting, but more importantly, showcase that he's hundred percent healthy. There was nothing in that workout where you said, "Okay, he's not he's not going to be ready to play summer league. Um, So it's going to be interesting on draft night because you see him moving down draft boards. But those draft boards aren't made by people that make decisions. And I just have a feeling somebody late lottery is kind of my guess for him. If he doesn't get hurt, he would have gone top five. I guarantee you that. Hmm. It is, is his
0: frame where it is that he can put on significant muscle?
1: You know, he can get stronger and he did, you know, before he got on, he came out here in late April, I believe somewhere around there. And he spent a lot of time in the weight room and he got stronger. He didn't put on a lot of weight for whatever reason. I think it's because he's not a big eater, but he got stronger. And so I'm not sure he can put on a ton of weight, but he needs to get stronger. And I think he will get stronger. Once he understands what's going to be expected of him at the next level, Don. For a,
2: a while now, Noah's been uh, been giving me a hard time because um, I just keep raving about Kobe White and and what kind of player he is, what kind of prospect he is, and, and what kind of kid he is. Can you please tell Noah, um, you know, why I I have every reason to uh, wait? But wait, anyway, hold on, but
0: team. Don, Don, it's like a restraining order situation. <laughs> with,
1: with Adam <laughs> well, and Kobe White. It, no it's with me too okay I, I've been telling people this I've been doing this for I think 14 years now 15 years he's in my top five favorite players of all time in the sense that he's way better than I thought he would be just in terms of skill on the court but competes every day was a great teammate never once was late like he's if you're a pre-draft trainer he is a dream like a dream. And I've told people if I could have every player come here every year and be Kobe White, I would be the happiest guy on the planet. And and to really understand that you have to be here every day. Like there was a stretch because guys, a couple guys got hurt. And then a couple guys were out working out for teams that he was here by himself. And Adam will tell you, it's not easy to go by yourself with me because there's no one in line to rest or anything. <laughs> so it's hard didn't complain once. And I thought I was going to, cause he had been here for a little bit already. So he kind of got used to the setup of, you know, we drill for a while and then we go live and the guys like the live cause they like to compete. Well, when you're here by yourself, there is no live. So now, it, now, it, now it morphs back into an hour and a half of by yourself. And I'm kicking your ass. And, but he didn't flinch on that. And I just think that this kid, his mental makeup, his disposition of who he is as a person is going to work in the league. And I sat him down his last day before, before, um, cause it was bowl bowls pro day. So I knew there was going to be a lot of stuff going on. And I sat him down before the workout and I told him that I said, Kobe, you're one of my favorite players I've ever had. And for a lot of reasons. And I didn't, and I'm like, I don't need to go into it with you, but I just hope that you keep who you are right now. The same for the next 15 years, because the NBA it can get tricky and there's a lot of different personalities and there's a lot of different locker rooms and a lot of stuff going on. Just keep who you are right now and you'll be in the league and make a ton of money for 15 years. All right. So where does,
0: where does Zion fit on that list?
1: You know, I didn't get to spend enough time with Zion. You know, he came out here and it was very late. It was like middle of May, third week in May, and it was only going to be for a week. And, You know, there's a video that got out the first day, you know, his stepdad's been training him since he was like five and they're very protective of him and very, you know, um, they don't want the fanfare of it. Even though this guy's the most celebrated college player to come out in the last decade, they don't want to manufacture that. So the first or the second day he was out here, somebody posted a video that they took through the window of the place that we were working out and the stepdad kind of freaked out and, decided that he wanted to keep training him, continue his training. So we found them a separate gym, like a high school where no one knew about. And he continued it, but I will tell you this. I've never seen a guy at his size with the explosiveness he has. And the story is this, we all know the vertical jump testing machine, you know, the thing with the red, white, and blue things that you Mm -hmm. jump up and they, they swing around he out jumped that. So we had to put, we had to put the machine, that, that machine on blocks to get a true reading of what his vertical jump was. And you hear a lot of guys that are like, you know, Oh, he's a 40 plus vertical. And, And there's a few that are, but there's not a ton that are 40 plus. And so when he came in, now think about this, he came in at 284 pounds and his approach vertical, which is two step, vertical, 46 inches at 284 pounds. (laughs) I mean, that is insanity. Yeah, that that is insane. Like stupid. Ryan Capretta, who's worked out some of the best athletes in the world, like football players, track guys, basketball players, like his jaw hit the ground. (laughs) And he's been doing this for like 30 years. But
0: uh, I mean that—that's—that's that's silly. But how, how significant is it that his that his stepdad is handling his training, despite him handling his training throughout the rest of his life? This is a different level to get you know and to be
1: as successful in summer league and, and in the NBA. Yeah,
0: I mean, how, how significant I, is that that it's not you
1: doing it? It's not because because think about what we've been talking about. I get these guys ready to work out for teams to get them drafted higher and and get them ready for summer league, right? Well, he was the number one pick no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so there was no room to grow in that area. So I don't think it was that significant because the minute he gets drafted, you know, the Pelican staff will get their hands on. The stepdad won't be training him anymore. It'll be someone from the Pelicans or the Pelican staff. So I don't think it's significant at all, to be honest. Um, You know, I was happy that I got a chance to spend three days with him just to see. Um, He's going to be really good because you just – You just don't see that kind of athleticism. I mean, I've never seen it before, and I was in the league and been around the league for a long time. It reminds me of Blake Griffin when he first came into the league, that kind of athleticism. Mm. Um, You know, but maybe even more explosive than that. And if you know, people see Blake Griffin now, he's more of a power guy, strong guy. But think back to when Blake Griffin first came into the league and he was dunking on Mozgov and doing all those crazy dunks. That's this kind of athleticism.
2: And I know Don, you were telling me, he also reminds you some of young Barkley, but we talked in the past, you and I about like, where does this fit in, in today's NBA? So we all know about what the ceiling ultimately could look like for Zion, but what about, what are some of the things he's going to have to work on? At the well, next
1: He's going to have to get, he's going to have to be, become a, a legitimate perimeter shooter. And I know he made some at the college line, but there's a big jump from the college line to the NBA line. And he's going to have to get consistent behind that because the first thought, and I told Zion and the stepdad this, when we met before he started, I said, if I'm in the league right now and you come into the game, the the only thing I'm telling myself is this guy ain't dunking on me. He's not. And so there's going to be a forearm gap and saying, go ahead, shoot it. I'm going to live with you shooting it until you prove to me that I have to get up and guard you and take the risk of getting dunked on. And so he's not starting from way behind because he proved he could make some at Duke, but he's going to have to get more consistent. And then I think his mid-game, he's going to have to learn how to pull up. Like everything can't be at the rim dunking it because guys aren't going to let him. So he's got some room and in a ways to go in terms of his offensive game. But I think when you start with that athleticism, and from what I got, a will to get better, he wants to be great. I I really don't have any doubt that he's going to get there. I just don't think because of the media hype behind him and the social media hype behind him right now, it's going to be right out of the gate. I don't think it's going to be like 25 a night right out of the gate. I think there's going to be some time there that needs to be taken to really understand how to play and get that skill that he's going to need to be an all-star at that level. Don, I, I, I've tried to explain this to people, and you were talking about some of the process earlier, but
2: just in terms of, like, how hard these kids work. And I've been lucky enough to, to head down there and, and watch it for the last, I want to say, three or four years. Um, you know, you've, you've invited me down. And just to try to go through what it's like for these guys to do this, this physical workout or the weightlifting and then get on the court with you, nonstop for two hours. I guess the only way maybe you can put it into context is just to explain like how these kids respond when when they first are up against your workouts, even guys that have come from some of the biggest programs in the country.
1: Well we we set it up, Adam, and, and the thing that I have the thing that I have that that you know a regular trainer doesn't have in the summertime is what? I have June 20th, hanging over their head. I have the, the, the ultimate motivator and that's draft night and spots. And I even talk about it. You know, I, I, I do so many things during the time that they're here to motivate them and keep them motivated. Like I'll, if one of the agents is there, I'll say, you know, Hey Ty, what's the difference in money between the 10th pick and the 18th pick? And he'll say, you know, $3 million or whatever, but that's motivating you know, and so I think I can ask for a lot more because I have that, I have that, that draft hanging over their head. Um, but I know what I need to see and I know where they need to be in terms of how much they can withstand, how fast things need to be. Um, you know, what it needs to look like offensively, what it needs to look like defensively in the, in the live stuff is where it's at. Like what it, what I think I need to see from a guy that will translate to the team workouts when they get in their three on three for whatever team they're in front of. And uh conditioning's a big element of it. Um, guys get tired. They don't spend time on their conditioning level. And when you're playing three on three in front of Danny Ainge, guess what? You're going to get tired quick. So if you don't have that second wind, you're in trouble. And, And so we spend time on that and I get them to buy in and it's hard. It's hard for the first week. And I always tell them, I'm like the first five, six, seven workouts, you are going to hate it. But I said, if you push and push yourself, once you get through that, it becomes easy and you see that you can do this hour and a half and it's not that hard. And once they break through, it becomes easy, but I really got to be, I don't want to stay a master motivator, but a master something, and getting these guys to continue to push till they get to that till they get to that level. What What was Adam Morrison like when you were working him out? He was uh, <laughs> Adam Morrison. Um, he was by himself the entire time. Uh, that that was pre CAA days. Okay, and so I had Adam, and and Adam had a great year at gonzaga but then went on the award circuit for a while and didn't even pick up a basketball so when he came in and if you know adam he's as ornery as i am and so we (laughs) butted heads for a while and like literally almost came to blows a few times because i wasn't going to quit and he thought i was and and um you know i just i walked out of the gym on him one time you know one time we almost fought like it was, it was, it was a great learning experience for me in terms of doing it. Cause that was early. That was like what, 2004 or something like that. 2005.
0: Was he your first guy?
1: No, I had a couple before him, but he was very early. And, but once he, once he knew I wasn't going away, he actually did the work. And I'm telling you, and I tell people all the time, people don't realize how good Adam Morrison was, man. We brought in guys that were already in the league and he was kicking their ass and, offensively, he, he's maybe one of the best guys I've ever had. And a good story about Adam in, in, in terms of what we are just talking about in the conditioning level, he went to the Bobcats workout against Brandon Roy. And back then, the, the Bobcats workout was the hardest in the league pre-draft. They, just, they challenged to see who would quit first. And because Brandon Roy hadn't done what Adam had done, Roy quit the workout after like 40 minutes and Adam finished it. It was like an hour 20, hour 25. And obviously, Brandon Roy, it turns out, was a way better NBA player than Adam Morrison. But the Bobcats took Adam Morrison because of that workout. Wow. 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 Don, the...
2: So, um, oh, go ahead, Noah.
0: No, good, good, Adam.
2: No, it. Uh, I was just going to say that you know, you talk about sort of walking out of the gym and all that kind of stuff. And I know you and I done have talked about the idea that, that your sort of training methods, or I guess the psychological side of this has evolved. Big. Um, yeah. So, so how do you balance all that when you get these different personality types who have different expectations as they walk into your gym?
1: Um, you kind of get a read on them early. I feel like I've had every personality, every guys, guys have different work habits and so I, I kind of assess the first couple of days to see what I'm dealing with. And then, and then I just try things like, can I jump a guy? How does he respond? Like KZ, he'll tell you, KZ Akpala this year. I jumped him. He responded. So guess what? When I need to jump him, I'm jumping him because he responds to that. Other guys don't respond to that. John Collins didn't respond, didn't respond, didn't respond, but I felt like that was the only way he was ever going to respond. So I jumped him every day and finally He ended up responding and getting to where he needed to be. So it's a hard question to answer, Adam, because everyone's different. But again, because I've been doing it so long, I feel like, you know, whatever comes through the door I've seen before and kind of know how to deal with it.
0: I've got uh, two last ones for you. Then Adam's got our our standard catch and shoot question at the end of the podcast. Do you spend time with these guys that you've worked out pre-draft during the season or even after the season again?
1: No, I see him. You know, guys come back. Like, it was funny, last year, Jaron Jackson loved it out here so much that literally two days after the draft, he came back. <laughs> just took <sighs> like three days to work out. But typically, no. But because I do Clipper games, I see all these guys. You know, I don't bug them. I feel like my job's to get them ready for the draft and, and to get them ready for summer league. And if, if they want to come back, like Luke Kennard came back last summer for a month, Towns has been back. Donovan Mitchell comes back. But for the most part, I really don't. I really don't do that. I don't really want to do it. But if guys want to come back, then I will, you know, obviously work them out. Um, but it's really I, my I put my focus on on the draft and getting them ready for summer league. All right, and then last one for me
0: is how how do you spend draft night and how do you describe the anxiety that you have?
1: I spend it with Adam Stanko getting ready for our Pac-12 Network draft special. That's <laughs> On how On Thursday night. It. On Thursday night. Nine o'clock.
0: That's, that's how I tee up promos. I'm, but I'm, I will I'm say just, this. I'm just here to bump up Adam's career.
1: I will say this. I enjoy doing the show because it's fun to do it with Yam and, and Adam. Um, but it is it – is a, uh, I don't want to say it's an uncomfortable night because – in this, I don't know if this is going to sound right or not. I'm, always, I'm more fearful of guys dropping than I am happy that they go higher. If that makes yeah, sense, totally like, understandable. Like last year, we had guys jump up. Jerome Robinson went higher. Um, we had Colin Sexton. We had Jaron Jackson. Grayson Allen went higher than he was expected. But to me, I, I was I wasn't in a good mood after the draft because Cade Bates Diop dropped. He dropped all the way to 48 when he was supposed to go, you know, somewhere in the 20s. And so that part makes it nerve wracking for me because I don't want anyone to drop. It's great if they move up higher, but I just do not want them to drop. That's my Mm -hmm. biggest fear. Uh, So
2: Don, this is the catch and shoot podcast. So we always ask the guests um, uh, if your life's on the line game seven situation, who do you want? Who do you want to catch it in a, in a catch and shoot situation? And so for you, all the guys that you've ever worked out, who are you trusting in that catch and shoot situation? And then uh, also one of your former teammates, who would you put in
1: that spot? Hmm. Well, if we go back to the pre-draft guys as they were at the pre-draft, is that what we're saying? Not who they became or who they are. Sure. Sure. Well, who they were pre-draft. Yep. Catch and shoot would be Adam Morrison, hands down, like not even close. Um. Wow. Guys that I played with, hmm, I'd have to. Well, I did play for seventeen teams in nine years. Um, man, I'd have to think about that one. Um, well, let me ask it this
2: way: Who challenged you in shooting contests uh, at practice? Who were no some of one. the guys
1: that? Sh- no one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding um man i'm trying to think you know i didn't really play you know you know who could really really shoot it and people talk more about the 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 stuff off the bounce that's what they remember but Mockmood could really shoot it and i oh, would say yeah. he's one of the guys that like catch and shoot i'd put him up there that's interesting well ding, 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 ding. didn't you spend time with dale ellis yeah, at the end of his career, that's a good one. I forgot about him. That was the that was the lockout shortened year. Um uh, yeah, Dale, Dale said, Ellis yeah. would be up there for sure. I forgot about that year. I'm trying to go through the teams and the seasons. Um yeah, Dale, Dale Ellis would probably be it actually. Oh wow. I mean he's that's one of the all time great three point shooters.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh well Don, we we really appreciate it. And um I hope, I hope draft night goes the way that, that you hope, which means all good things for your guys.
1: I hope so. I appreciate that. It's always nerve-wracking, but uh, we, we did the work, and now we let the chips fall. Appreciate you, Don. All right, guys. I think we're about to go off the rails.
0: I've got so many more questions for Don, and got to be over beers. Growing up a Sixers fan, i got to talk to him about that Iverson rookie year with Stackhouse on the team and Derek Coleman and Clarence Weatherspoon, even from that draft. Um, so so thank you again to Don. And make sure everybody checks out all the other podcasts on the Pure Hoops Media Podcast Network, the Mike Wise Show, the Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, and Pure Hoops with Eric Newman and NBA champion BJ Armstrong. I'd like to close out the show with something else that's been entertaining us this week. And Marissa is away, and i've been watching so when she's away, I watch things that I know she's not going to watch or or, <laughs> would want, or would or would want to watch and um and so i so I watched all four parts of when they see Us about the central park five the uh the netflix four part series the miniseries, and the central park five about the the yep. murder, rape, jogger case back in 1989 here in Central Park in New York City. And I started watching it and I made it through the first like 30 minutes of the first episode. And I said, I said to myself, I don't know if I can do this. This is, I, I, I just had a, a pit in my stomach and I, I didn't feel good after just watching the first 30 minutes. It was so uncomfortable. But then I, I kept going. And then last night I watched the final two parts back to back. It was uh, about two and a half hours and it is it is eye opening it is it's uh something that i i would encourage everybody watching
2: it's interesting you say that cuz i haven't seen the final two parts and i've had the same reaction i remember when when all that stuff went down and and um yeah just uh horrific and man, so sad to think how how young young those kids were oh um, man it's just it's it's it's, it's, it's disgusting awful. yeah it's awful yeah. um on a on a lighter note what i've been uh Watching, I, I uh, watched the Netflix um, David Letterman interview with Ellen DeGeneres, which I found fascinating. Obviously, you and I are both uh, students of the craft of of the interview, and mm-hmm. just um, you know uh, how their conversation went down, even in front of a live audience, um, just sort of blew me away and how candid she was, and and how comfortable the two of them sort of got to be. It's, I'm all, I always love interviews when they go from being this formal, hey, can you do this for me? And then you ask a couple questions that are leading in, uh-huh. and all of a sudden it turns into this conversation that just two people are having in person or over the phone. Like that that tipping point is always so fascinating to me. And to watch that happen in front of an audience with the two of them was was awesome stuff. So I highly recommend um, Ellen DeGeneres being on uh, on Letterman show.
0: Yeah, I got to get into the the Letterman show. Oh, and by the way, I chased my when they see us with the Adam Sandler Jennifer Aniston. Uh, oh, how is that <laughs> murder mystery? Uh, not that good. I mean, I mean, I could watch. I mean, I could watch Jennifer Aniston in anything, and and Adam Sandler's he's still funny. Like okay, he still makes me laugh. But uh, yeah, like
2: is I it like it a was, modern day Clue? Yeah, I kind
0: love. of. Yeah, uh, it's it's a movie that I. I definitely would have watched on an airplane for sure
2: oh actually would have watched it on speaking of that saw the dead don't die i'll just say it's bill murray's latest movie oh. uh there are a bunch of people in this in this film uh including selena gomez uh adam driver and i'm like this cast is amazing um and i i was i was like this has to be incredible it's got like 50% on rotten tomatoes uh, and it and it lived up to every bit of the 50%. Uh, it couldn't have been more awful but um but yeah it was uh that's it, a you know sometimes you got to get out to the movies have some popcorn a soda and and some candy so uh no should we thank everyone that's in, involved in this podcast
0: Yeah there's we only have a minute left so there's not enough time to thank everybody but we do thank everybody also though most significantly i want to make sure that people Download and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, share with your friends. It means a lot to both of us and everybody at the Pure Hoops Media team, all 8,000 of them. And also, make sure you put on the Pac-12 Network on Thursday night, 6 Eastern, right? Yep. 6 Eastern for Pac-12 Network for a draft night. Adam Stanko producing, and you'll see our buddy Mike and also who you just heard from. Get to see Don McLean on set. Adam, thanks, buddy.
2: Oh, wow. Appreciate you doing that, Noah. Thank you, and thanks to everyone. And Oh, and, and thanks to Coach Nick for having us on his B-Ball Breakdown podcast this week. Ah, that was, it
0: was uh, enjoyable, as if I don't was, talk to you enough.
2: Yeah, seriously. Um, yep. Thanks to our producers, Bruce and Scott, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Uh, Noah? I, no,
0: I told you we didn't have enough time for that.
2: Oh, Adam, cut Adam, that I'll out. Talk, I'll talk to you next week. Okay.
1: The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.